Welcome to Neuro Movement Revolution with Anat Benyel, where you will discover breakthrough possibilities for your life through the brain's power to change. We're so happy that you can join us in making the impossible possible. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the sixth podcast in our series. Um, we are very excited to be doing these podcasts. Uh, we've had a lot of lovely feedback from from very many people, both you know practitioners, clients, and people completely new to the work, about how much they're enjoying them and how valuable they are. So this morning, um. The main topic is uh, driving brain change with the first essential movement with attention. And um, Anat, I guess maybe we should just give an overview of, you know, what are the essentials and why are the essentials? Okay. So the essentials are fundamentally uh, nine conditions or nine uh, uh, ways of doing and, and uh, doing and acting that wake up the brain to re- to uh, resume creating new connections and create new possibilities, new possible patterns of uh, uh, movement, thought, feelings, emotions, etc. Uh, and in order to understand. Uh, the essentials, I'd like to remind uh, briefly here something we discussed in a previous uh, a podcast. The brain is a, a, an information system. That means that the brain organizes, is a self-organizing system. It is through the brain that we develop the ability or have the ability to make to put order in the disorder and make sense out of the nonsense so if we think about our senses the stimulation comes in but the stimulation in the eyes doesn't come as the picture that we're looking at it comes as certain uh, frequencies of uh, uh, light waves that activate certain cells uh, that then activate other cells and then in the end I can look and say, oh, this is Neil. Interesting. Oh, this is a computer. This is a very, very complex, remarkably complex and, and, and um, a, a, a process. And, um, and in order for the brain to have the information or saying it in other words, people often think or assume that the stimulus by itself is the source of information for the brain. However, stimulation by itself is a stimulation, but it's not information for the brain. Uh, What needs to happen uh, in the brain is what I name perception of differences. That means that there is, that we notice a foreground and background a louder sound versus a softer sound, no movement, and then something moves in the bottom and maybe we think it's a snake. So a brain that works well is a brain that's actually very good and alive and capable of perceiving differences and develops the ability to perceive finer and finer differences. 
So think about the musician. I remember when I worked in Tanglewood Music Festival in the summer festival with the Boston Symphony, I worked with the musicians. And for a few years, Sergio Sawa was the conductor, and I worked with him too, one-on-one. And watching him conduct and, you know, get one section of the orchestra to play and ask them to do something one way or another way, he could hear differences in the music that I could not hear. As I was observing it, I got better at hearing more of the differences. But what this man could hear or what a a professional musician can hear is different than those of us who are not trained to that degree. So so for the brain to be a capable learning brain, it needs to, to be good and capable, potentiate the ability to perceive differences. So very, very often when a child is unable to learn to do something, could be to sit up or could be uh, um, language or could be social interaction or cues like with autism, it's not because they're not intelligent or because they need to make more efforts in trying to learn it. It's because they're not actually perceiving differences that are required to be perceived in order to create the trajectory of movement, for example, from lying on the back to sitting. They just don't have the capacity to put it together. That means the brain doesn't have it. So, And when we perceive differences in the process of learning, the brain literally grows new connections and utilizes combinations of those connections, what we call integration, into an outcome. The first essential, the first condition that drives the brain to wake up and form new connections and be better in sensing and noticing what's going on is movement with attention. So the first thing is that without movement, nothing. There's nothing. Actually, if we really don't move, we're not alive anymore. So, and movement is constant change. When, if you just, uh, you can, whether you're driving or watching right now, if you lift your arm and put it like that parallel to the ground and slowly move it to be vertical, the sensation, the way, if you just listen even to the sensation perhaps in your upper arm or in your wrist or in your fingers, there is actually significant change because of the relationship to gravity. And, and, uh, So movement gives us change, gives us constant shifts, ongoing shifts. However, if the movement is done uh, reflexively or automatically without attention of the mover to the feeling, the sensations and the feelings that the feeling of self, the feeling of the movement that comes while you do it, Research shows that there are no detectable changes in the density of connections, in the mapping, in the brain of the area that is moving. However, if you really listen, feel, pay attention to the sensations as you do it, the the same research shows very, very, very rapid and significant uh, um, increase in density of the connections. 
with a child, you say, so So I can tell you, you're an adult, you're listening, maybe you've meditated, you, you can do that. I can guide you through words to do it. But when I take a five-day-old or a two-month-old child or a seven-year-old boy, how do you do that? Well, you do it by, by depends on the child. If, if the child understands language and so on, and let's say you're putting a shirt, you're helping the child dress, and you, you, you move, you move the, you start taking the arm to bring it to, to put on the sleeve. You can move the arm and say, oh, and you can even hold the sleeve in the other one, and you do it not too rough, and that's and not too fast, and these are two other essentials that uh, need to come into play that we'll talk in the next uh, uh, podcast, you, you, pick up, you pick up the arm and say, oh, where is your arm? Where is the shirt? Where, where is your arm? In order to know where their arm is, they pay attention to where the arm is, and they ha- that, that activates the feeling of where the arm is. And that is a process that is built into the system to be there. Without it, we wouldn't grow. We wouldn't form our brain. We wouldn't learn how to move. So movement with attention can be implemented in any number of ways, but the idea is not to get the child to pay attention to do the movement a certain way or to do it correctly or to achieve necessarily a specific movement like crawling or getting up to standing. But it's an easy movement to do, something that you can either guide the movement or as they move, you you or you can do it by touch. So, for example, is that if if the child doesn't understand language, is too young, you start moving the hand here, and you put your hand, the other hand, and here it bangs the hand. Here it touches the sleeve. Here it smacks a little into your hand. Here it touches the sleeve. You bring it where they can see it. Or, or if it's a question of feeding, sometimes you parents feed the child and they move the spoon to where the head of the child is moving, if the child has even the beginning or sufficient control over their head movement, if they move the head to the other, and I'm not saying they move their head because they don't want to eat anymore. They want to eat, but then they they move the head because maybe they have some reflexive reaction in the neck, they have some issues or whatever. You you can move the, the spoon a little closer where they can see it you can even uh, support touch the head so it's a little less heavy and have them begin initiating to move the head towards the spoon, not to try and train them to do it, but so that they feel that their head was away from the spoon and towards the spoon. They feel the movement and, and you make it easy so it's successful. So there are many, many ways to do it. And as the child you know, gets older and they try to do something and you talk with a child, let's say with a, a, a ADD or ADHD, you can say to them, oh, can you do that? Can you make it so the movement feels even harder to do? Now, can you make it a little easier? You can actually play with it. You can, because children take to it like fish to water because that's what the brain needs. So you give them the opportunity to have the quote-unquote idea to pay attention, to notice what they feel as they move. Does that help? It helps me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I mean, already there are um, questions. There are some questions. Good. Yeah. So, uh, very 
interesting one here. So a question, does it mean that passive movements are not used, say, if the child is watching an iPad during exercises? I want to know what kind of exercises. So whoever wrote it, if you it's can just... Marina Vicaria. So Marina Vicaria, if you can just say, what do you mean by exercises? Because I don't do exercises with people. So so I do movement with people. So I, I need to know what kind of exercises or what, what you mean by that. And okay. then take another question. Yeah. Mean what? So uh, this is uh, Jada Walden, who actually asked a question on Facebook. And I asked her if she would come on the podcast. Her daughter is eight months old, had in utero stroke. Um, and she says, can you show me how to get my daughter to recognize she has a left side? She doesn't move it willingly. Well, <laughs> uh, what's the name again? Jada. 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 Hi, Jada. First of all, a very, very good question, because until your child feels she has a, 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 that part, she won't their brain won't start connecting and doing, you know, evolving and, and uh, you know, movement differentiation control and all that stuff. And uh, I wish, if Jada can say, it sounds she's like... She's also added a, another, a second comment by, by the time I asked the question. How do you do all this to an infant who's visually impaired with brain damage and doesn't understand commands? Obviously, her baby is eight months old, so isn't going to understand that, that's, commands. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well... The way I do it in terms of really, if I were literal and, and answering a question, is just get on YouTube and watch a few of the videos of me or other practitioners working. It'll give you a sense of the, the variability and, and kind of like how we do it. Uh, the, 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 so before going, so how do you get her to recognize her affected side or her, was it her left side? Uh, doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so it's a right sided side. bleed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Left side. Uh, a, when I touch the child, any time I work, a child, adult, it doesn't matter. I touch them in a way, and in a, and when I touch them, I, in a sense, I pause. I don't take a huge pause. I, I don't know how long I take it because for me internally it feels very expansive. So it might be a second, and it might be four seconds or or six seconds. I have no idea, but the feeling that I have is when I get a a touch, I look to feel the child. When you feel the child, this invites the child to feel themselves. You will see as we go through the essentials that to bring the essential to the child, you have to be yourself in that essential or be doing it within yourself at the same time. So when you go to do something with a child, you feel if the leg feels stiff or a little softer, if it's a little easier to move it, you know, one degree to the right or one degree to the left, you're actually getting interested in the child. I know that you all absolutely beyond love your child. I mean, you'd give your life to get your child to be well. So there's no I want to make it really, really clear that that is the basis for everything. And then I want you to take that energy, that commitment and, and, and loyalty and love for your child, that you take it and bring it upon yourself to not try to, we talked about that before, make the child be doing things, unless you have to pick them up and take them to the doctor 
or you have to move them away from an electrical something, uh, you know, to protect them. Or if you're just in a rush and then you just take them and do it and not, but they take times in the day, five minutes at a time will make a huge difference. But let me just, first of all, finish that. So you, you, you touch the child to feel what the child feels to you. This is what we train in our practitioner training program, people to do. Now, it's simple to say, but it takes a, a process of personal evolution like a musician. So it's I'm, I'm a musician of touch and movement. I'm a maestro of touch and movement like there's a, Sergio Salazar was a maestro musician, you know, conductor. So I, I, and then when I feel the child, the child, you'll see their eyes sort of kind of stop blinking and their breathing sometimes shifts and they, they notice it. And for many of those children, it's the first, first time that they notice parts of themselves. We tend to assume that because the leg is there or the arm is there or whatever, that we see it and we feel our arm, they must be feeling it too. Now you don't. It's not just if the if there is stroke and there is paralysis and that there is degradation of the ability to sense those parts. And by the way, the degradation is because of the lack of movement. By the way, however, the 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 the, the, the every condition, no matter who I work with, child we work with, it's always a question of degradation of the brain's ability to notice and map and create complex relationships be between the different parts of the body, dynamic relationships. So touch your child with an interest, you know, to, you feel it, then move it and feel it. Not complicated, you're not a practitioner, but is it easy? Is it hard? And try to take it where it's easy. You can narrate it. Whether the child understands or not, it will pace you. You say, oh, this is easier. Oh, this is a little harder. Do you like this better? Do you like this less? What the child feels matters and that the child feels matters, that it should feel more, more. With your child, with a, with that, you know, that the left side is um, uh, paralyzed as a result of the stroke, I would suggest to do what I described first and foremost on the side that's not paralyzed. I wouldn't be surprised that if you start doing it on the side, what I just described, a, a, on the side that's not paralyzed, the side that's paralyzed would at least get more what people would call relaxed, you know, less spastic. I'm not sure, but it, it depends how you do it and what happens, but it could very well happen. Always... If you're going to touch the other side, don't stretch the arm. Don't move, try and move, 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 move. It, it just inhibits the system. Uh, the brain can't interpret what you do with that side. So really, you just, the, the, this can groove in the limitation into the future and in the present time, of course. But if you're going to touch, let's say, the hand, don't try to open and uncurl, you know, the fingers or make them hold a toy or... Any of those things, if you're going to try and experiment with what I'm talking about, then stop doing that. And at least for a while, let's say for a week or two weeks or for the length of time it will take us to do the essentials, I don't know, read the book, because 
if you go back to that, or if anybody does therapy like that, it's like it snaps, it regresses the system right back to less differentiation. So what I would recommend that you do then is you, you do it on the side that works and you name it on the side that works. So let's say you do something with one hand for three minutes or two minutes, you know, nothing long. Because if it works, the estimated number of new connections per second under favorable conditions formed in the brain of the child is 1.8 million new connections per second. Multiply it by 60 and then multiply it by by three and you can get life-changing transformations. So, so and, if, and if it works, you stop. And if it doesn't work, you stop. You take it, if, if it works, you stop and take, take a break and do something a little more later. And if it doesn't work, uh, um, you absolutely you stop because it's not working. So, so you do it very gently and you, and you narrate it and you feel it and you just play like that, just gently. And then you can touch the other hand very delicately and just give it a little bit of that sensation that it had on the other side. And maybe you do just, do you know, 30 more seconds here and then you go here. It's like you're talking. You're talking through movement. I told you I see movement as the language of the brain. So you talk here and then you say, hey. Can we talk the same here? Can we, like that. This is a very general approach to your child. And the most important thing, if you possibly can, because you're not trained to do it, it's kind of like if your child needed surgery, you wouldn't ask, you know, you wouldn't expect yourself to do the surgery. So I don't know where you live, but if you can find a practitioner, a just bring your child as soon as possible to work with the practitioner because the child is very young. And we have really wonderful results uh, pretty much across the board with uh, children that have had, uh, you know, in utero stroke. So I wouldn't wait because the sooner you do it, the, the you know, the trajectory is easier to go up. Thank you for a, a very rich answer. And I, you know, one of the things that really hit me while you were saying it is, you know, this needing to shift from moving to try and make something happen to touching, to be curious about what someone, how someone feels, how they feel to you, and through that helping them get a sense of what they they themselves are feeling. And I know this now as a trainer in the training program. Obviously, I, I work with it myself on a daily basis with the clients I'm working with. But with the students I'm um, teaching with with you in the training, it's a constant reminder, you know, to find different ways to get them to realize that it's not about doing something to the other person. That the touch is in order to feel, and that's where the richness and, and the possibility move, to, comes to create the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we uh, uh, you were there. Uh, we, we taught the last three days of the full arc of trainings that we do, you know, basic training and then the ch- children and then vitality and anti-aging and then, you know, high performers. So we just finished this past weekend, the last three days. And I asked them, uh, they did this, the full segment before, and I said, did you feel changes or what did you feel? Uh, any benefits from doing yet another layer with the focus on 
And it was remarkable. And one of the co comments that kept coming from the different people, each one of them, you know, reported, is that uh, how much they realized that they still sneak in unconscious to them the attempt to fix the person, the attempt to, to make things happen. Now, we have really, the miraculous happens on a daily basis in, in, in our center. Not everybody gets uh, the full outcome they're looking for, and sometimes it takes a long time to get it. But within where the child is to the next move, to the next uh, place, to the next place, it's just like phenomenal. And, and what they said also that they were eight. So what, when they got more aware and found themselves still trying to kind of like they know how they should do it, but it still snuck behind them. <laughs> And they backed off because they, we work, we move the child. We, I'm a very, very intentional and ambitious teacher for the child, not ambitious for me, ambitious for the child. But built into my ambition is not imposing on the child, is not, is, is really what I consider elevating myself over and over again to a place where I make the space and Inter, interact with the child where there's more and more opportunity for the child to feel and experience themselves. And because that's the basis of information for the brain to have the child grow and develop, just like a, no, healthy children. And I know it must feel diffused to people. So the essentials concretize it. Movement with attention. You move, feel your own body moving, reduce you know, tensions and so on. And then be interested in what you feel as you move your child or you observe your child moving or whatever variation is happening. And when you do that, the child gets to feel themselves, gets to be discovered that they could do it. Some kids, they, they genetic disorders or whatever makes it that they just, the brain doesn't, do that or does it very very little and very kind of you know unrefined just like very uh, uh, undifferentiated so anyway so uh, Jada is listening and she said wow thank you so much uh, I've been opening the hand and moving the arm as that's what we were told to do thank you so much for your time so thankful you answered my questions and she says she's currently reading the book and also she's soon going to start ABM with a practitioner fantastic Wonderful. So um, I have another question here. My baby is eight months with a genetic disorder um, and she's fussy. Can I apply movement with attention? Oh, he, sorry. Can I apply movement with attention while he sleeps? The books don't say anything about it. Uh, <clears throat> well, first of all, everything I said to Jeddah applies Applies to everybody. I mean, it applies to this healthy is children. Sorry, Runia. 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 Yes, Runia. Runia. It applies to healthy children. It applies to us. I mean, this is how the brain works. This is one of the characteristics of, you know, of of, of how to get the brain to be a healthier, stronger, more capable brain. So it's applicable everywhere to everyone and to all children. It makes them a whole lot more intelligent. You know, the potential is there with everybody, but it makes them just blossom. Uh, doing it through sleep, um, 
I work with children sometimes when they're asleep. You can give it a try. But again, observe, see if, if the child starts getting agitated. Uh, you know, sometimes they kind of would snap. And so sometimes it's just like the brain is sort of wakes up and there's some movement happening. But do it really gently and do it to feel what what your child feels like to you when you do it. That is really the important part. You know, that's that's what's important. So, yeah. Uh, and by the way, you guys, if you tried Facebook, you know, send us messages. We want to know if you tried it, how it goes. It's 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 the first time, you know, we just I we just started doing the podcast. And I I don't know how to dumb down anything. So when I give you an answer, I give you an answer that pretty much would have given in a training program, except I'm not giving you everything else that they get in the training program. So I want to know how well that works, because maybe we need to modify the communication. Okay, a question from Kavita in London. Does using toys distract the baby or child from moving with attention? Or can they be used to aid moving with attention? Okay, so first of all, I didn't. I the, the two questions ago there was the iPad. Yes, Remember, there was a question about the iPad. iPads. So I am. I am a my my approach to to provide. I'm a scavenger. I'll use anything that I think will be helpful at any given moment. I'm not. I don't have a, a dogma that you do this and then you do that. My dogma is understanding the principles and then a, having a big repertory of possibilities and having a creative self. And then when I'm with a child, the child is my, my source of information. It's my input. So that decides for me, uh, you know, it gives me the direction of what's needed at that moment. So sometimes a toy is very useful because especially if you give a toy because otherwise the child is going to you know start crying or something like that during a session trust me that that child is very attentive and follows what they feel and they they are able to gather themselves through focusing on the toy to not fall into their habitual reaction of crying fear and you know agitation and so on iPads are different. iPhones are different. And it also depends what happens with the iPad. It, it, I, I'm not going to go into a whole explanation about it, but it engages the brain in a way that could really make the brain unavailable to sense things and to change the result. So now, have I occasionally used iPad? I have, but I, I, as and many of you probably know that the children get addicted to it very, very powerfully. And it's addictive to them because it gets the brain actually to self-organize, just not in, in a way that I would like it to self-organize. And it feels good and they want that. It's, it's like a drug. So I use it, but then I start doing stuff with it and around it until it goes away from the session. So it's not like all sessions will be the iPad, but I told you I'll do anything I need to start. And then I get the brain gradually to be more interested and not need the iPad for 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 it to, to be in a state of okayness. 
Do you want to say anything else about that? Did you want to say anything more about toys? I, I just, just talked the, about yeah, toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I have very rarely used an iPad in a lesson. There are now some really wonderful apps that basically turn the iPad into a something piano. That, yeah. a piano or, or just yeah. something that the, the ch- a child who can actually has very little intentional movement can just hit the screen accidentally and get some sort of like yeah, and nice that can response. help get them to want to do it again. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean the trouble is the, the, all those popping things and all it's on just videos and just uh, terrible, too, too much terrible, happening. Terrible. Um, there's a, a comment here from Kim Wild. I love the connection I feel with you from these podcasts. It helps solidify the reading and studying I'm doing in preparation for the practitioner training this fall. Nanette. Oh. So. Oh, Nanette. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's, uh, I don't know, because the comment comes from Kim Wilde, then it's signed Nanette, but it may be well, Anat. I don't know. Oh. So, anyway, Nanette or Kim, thank you. Yeah. We're, we're looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, we're very excited about this training. We want it to be oversubscribed because we need practitioners. We oh, my God. There's such demand. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, another question. Uh, Teresa Mitchell. What suggestions do you have for a child who strongly resists being touched, pulls away and says stop? This for this is for a child I work with, not my own child. Who is that? Teresa. Teresa, Teresa Mitchell. Uh, Teresa, I would I would need to get a little information from you to be able to answer. It's interesting. I had the in the center on Tuesdays and Thursdays the teachers meet all, all of us that work and collaborate on the work with children for an hour to discuss the, you know, and, and one of the children that, that we're seeing this week at the center is a, a, has a different kinds of troubles, but also is on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. And she immediately just pushed away, pushed away. And, and we discuss, and she, the, 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 the teachers, I didn't work with her, but the teachers worked with her and in a way that, She's now welcoming the touch more and more. But I need to know a little bit about the history of the child to be able to answer. So have you worked with her for a while? Did you get the therapy before? And what kind? Because the child rejecting touch could be based on the or result of their experience prior to you working with her or as a result of what she experienced with you. I mean, if I'm just going to be frank here, because the child matters, that was not pleasant and and even sometimes painful and maybe some things that are done at home and everybody is doing everything they can with the best of intentions. But there is a tendency to override the experience of the child or to be blind to the experience of the child because they're little. And... And it doesn't mean we do everything the child wants. We need to be leaders with the child, but the question is how it's done. So if you're willing to, to write a little comment, if you're on, on, still on, online and say how long you've worked with her, what, what do you do? You know, are you PTOT and so on? And what kind of history she has and how old is the child? Because in my world, if the child was touched in a way that didn't work for the child and they push, us away, I'm happy because it tells me they have a brain that knows to distinguish between something they like and something they like less. 
and then they know something to do about it, which is actually a basis from which to start the work. Uh, Teresa just uh, followed up. She said the girl is six years old and has had a lot of other therapy, but it has been several years. She said she's been seeing her for about two months. Okay. So, um, Teresa, right? Yes. First of all, Teresa, thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you for being open-minded and thank you for asking the question. <laughs> a, you have to make sense out of what I say because I don't know what you do. I don't know your situation. I don't know what the insurance demands of you to do if you take insurance, you know, things like that. So you will have to to figure it out specifically. But what I would do is when you see the child, make it clear to her you're not going to touch her. You know, very often when I start working with a child and they, they I approach them and they, they, you know, retract or something, what I do is I retract. And then, and, and, and that usually really grabs their attention. I say, don't touch me, you know? And so I also mirror what they do so they know that they are doing it because very often it's just semi-reflexive. I said, don't touch, stop. You know, they're just trying to get out of the situation, out of the torture, out of the drilling, out of the fixing. They just want to be left alone. And by the way, most of us would feel the same way. So, so do that. And then you can tell the parents to, to turn the child to look at you and you turn away, say, don't look at me. And you make yourself so they can't see you. And then the parent can take them out and see you. And then you can put the child away. And, 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 and what I do though, if they want to play with the toys, we all have toys in the rooms that we're working. I put the toy on the high table. I work on a high table. And if they want the toy, I say you have to be on the table if you want to, you want to play with the toy. So that is a confinement for that way. But and then I, I would work on the mother. I would work on, I, on the father. I would bring somebody in the in the center where you work or whatever. And you just refuse to touch the child, and you give the parents warnings for at least one, two, three sessions. And then you know it's like it's like dealing with an animal that has been abused. And I'm not saying the child was abused, but you know, that there is the retraction. And then you'll see kids start getting, they can't start coming and standing closer and closer to me. And I pretend like I don't even notice. And then they come closer and then I can have a toy on my leg and let them come to the leg, you know, <laughs> and then they touch me. And then I, I, I just keep talking or I keep doing something. It might take a week. I, I mean, I don't know how often you see the chat. It might take a few times. But then when you see the child, don't do therapy right away. Take the hand and say, oh, look, look how pretty your hand is. And you turn the hand one way and you say, oh, my God, look, the fingers look different. And here, and you go along the line. So this looks like this, looks like this. And you start doing what we talked about, movement with attention. I have not had a child on the autism spectrum or a child that didn't want to be touched, that didn't want to be touched. It just took the process. It took six years or five years of maybe not so great experiences. Give it some time and let us know because I think it will work. Comment here from Kutia Ntowa uh, from Malawi says, this is fantastic. I'm reading the book and came across a practitioner who's leaving for another country this week. My daughter has had some sessions with the practitioner, but it's amazing. 
She has so far differentiated moving her hand independently of the left. She used to move them both together. E.g. when reaching to touch something, the leg would also move. I'm enjoying this knowledge so much. Thank you. Wow. Just make sure to keep giving your lessons. I mean, this is such big change in the brain, what you just said. Our babies move everything together initially. And, oh, just keep doing the lessons. I got shivers when I heard this. Oh, my God. Okay, another question. This is, uh, I think, a comment from somebody who we spoke to earlier, Marina Vicaria. Are there any special techniques to work with spasticity? No matter how much I do touching with attention, we're not really moving forward. It's like his body has his own mind and nothing can change it. Um, well, <laughs> look, at, if I had your child in front of me right now, I would decide what movements to do. I can't tell you. I really, really can't tell you. I can't even tell you what I'll do with people from one lesson to the other because I have to see how they show up after the last lesson. So, so it's like, so, but really when I hear that is if there is at all a way for you to get to a practitioner because it sounds like pretty intense and it takes more expertise. And once the practitioner helps the child progress some, then your doing it will build and accelerate it. But it sounds to me, I'm, I, I don't know, because there isn't a move I can tell you to do. I, I have no idea. I, I have to have the child in front of me. But if you can take the child for a week or two weeks of intensive lessons, I don't know where, where does she live. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah if you get on our website and just the search for a practitioner uh, and just that would be amazing. And if you want to come to the center, we'd love to welcome you. <laughs> um, so there's a, a couple of questions about ADHD here. Shall I read them both? And then sure, see what sure. Uh, Luana says, hi. I have read your books and seen some of your online classes, but not sure how I can help my five-year-old son with ADHD and learning problems. And then the other one is from Istanbul, from Evren. Maybe I need, okay, read both, okay. Hello, my boy is ADHD, seven years old, rotates his left hand since very little, one and a half years. He just cannot stop doing it. He mm-hmm. says that he concentrates well while doing it. Is there any way mm-hmm. to stop this move, movement? Yeah. Thanks from Istanbul. Yeah, you can't stop the movement. You, the, the, so, so uh, and the first question you, again, just briefly. She just says, how can I help my five-year-old son with yeah, ADHD, ADHD and learning yeah, problems? Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, I mean, you can't make it stop. It's, again, you can't impose it on the system. You can maybe try and create intense inhibition or, and I don't know, whatever, but it will create way more damage than it could have helped. The way I very colloquially or very simply simplified way what your child has done he found a way a movement with the arm that somehow helps organize his brain and allows so it, it reduces what is called noise you know signal to noise it's the it's the, the perception of differences so the brain has all these things happening and needs to perceive stuff and create a form and it quietens the system Whenever the brain does that process, the children get much more peaceful. People get more peaceful from this work. So, and happier. There's a well-being that comes with it. And and um, 
I won't take it away from him because it, it is his crutch right now. That's how he can do other things. So I, I would stop trying to take it away from him I, and I would stop focusing on it. And I know that it probably drives you crazy because every time you see it, it reminds you that something is not right. And it's very hard. You know, I'm also a parent. I know that my daughter does certain things and reminds me stuff. But it's my job to back off. It's my job to take a breath. It's my job to, that's one of the essentials, but to, to impose a sense of trust while I'm still very proactive in terms of what I do. But part of me being proactive is to back off. That's a big job for you, the parents and the therapists, when you need to back off. So what do I want to say here? Then start using the essentials. We're, we're doing it one essential at a time because it's not that easy to, to, you know, to grasp it and to see how to concretize it. But start doing it and just do it. Do it wherever you can. And I would absolutely not say anything, not point out, not ask him how he feels about the arm. And by the way, if for some reason it starts being less often or something, say nothing. Make it be his. It's not yours anymore. It's his. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at building alternative ways for the brains to know how to self-organize in an effective way so that the hand will, he'll stop doing it with the hand spontaneously. This has to stop spontaneously. When we work with children with ticks, which is a form of a tick, but it's not really a tick, uh, or kind of whatever disruptive behaviors or movements or actions, or we, we, we don't point it out. We don't talk about it. We just make it so it gradually disappears and we tell the parents to be quiet about it. I hope that helps. And, and in terms of the, the other one was the, um, yeah, the way to help ADD, ADHD is to start implementing the, the, the first essential. And then you'll implement the second. And, and, and by the way, to all of you that are listening, take a, I mean, you, if you read the book, you can start also exploring another, the next essential. But I would take the two weeks and just, Focus on movement with attention. Let me tell you, just movement with attention, when that is done, that can start creating real, real changes. But you have to figure out how to do it. And, you know, do it when you make a salad. Pay attention to what the lettuce feels like. Train yourself. You have to train yourself to be a much more alive, potent, refined, sensing and feeling machine yourself. I think, you know, that is the huge thing here. I mean, it's we need to get more and more skillful at using the essentials, and then that will allow us to facilitate for somebody else to, to take advantage of it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, Teresa, who you, you spoke to, uh, was working with the, the six-year-old, she says she's an OT. The girl has no formal diagnosis but a but genetic testing, um, but she said, you know, thank you so much. Those are great ideas. Thank you, Teresa, for, for being open. 
and let us know how it works. And you, by the way, it will be really interesting for you and maybe fun. Um, Marina, who was the lady asking about spasticity, she's from the UK and uh, they're seeing Mike Waffler. He's there this week and next week. Mike okay. from Atlanta is yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Uh, she said, we had four sessions with Mike and waiting for two more. And it's brilliant with three exclamation marks. I just hope there will be more practitioners in the UK. We're planning on it. Yes. And hey, by the way, come take the training. There'll be more practitioners in the exactly. UK. You know, we just did the, Neil and I, I uh, taught three, three workshops in, in, in uh, where was it? Frankfurt, Holland, and Moscow. And it was just so wonderful. And the request for the work is so huge. So we want, we have a lot of people coming from overseas too, but also the US and Canada everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of those workshops, there's a lady, Marianne Ball here, who was at, um, I think she came to the Frankfurt. Yeah. Says, hey, guys, nice to see you again. Hi, Marianne. Um, <laughs> I still need to send you the mail with my contact details so you can do a teacher's workshop in beautiful Vienna. Yes. Yes, we're, we're, we're going to be ready to, to do teachers mentoring stuff. After the end of May, we're doing the first one in Canada. Yeah. And uh, she says, love listening to you guys. Hope to see you soon. And uh, she said, did you see my nine essentials magnets? She's been making fridge magnets of the nine essentials. So oh, I want to. They say I, they've helped her a lot. Uh, Greetings from, hey, and love can, from Austria. Can, yeah. So can you, are they in, in, in English or in German? Because maybe I think we should in English. I think I saw them. I saw, I, what did I saw? I saw awareness. That was the one I saw on Facebook. So. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we should, maybe we should uh, make them too. Yeah, this was such a good idea. <laughs> um, you put the magnet and, you, and the essential you work with, get four or five, you know, in the kitchen, near where you feed your child, in the child's bedroom, <laughs> in your office where you work, yeah. Um, one of the, the questioners, I think, about the ADHD said, um, oh, both of them, I think, thanks um, from Puerto Rico and, Thanks. Many thanks. Uh, truly appreciate it. I will try my best to apply those. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Good. Any other questions? Uh, yes. Oh, well, Marina got back to us already. I might consider training to become a practitioner. Any chance to have a training in the UK? Not anytime soon. So we are opening the next one September 21st. And, you know, we open, you know, we finish one and open the next one. So we're looking at like two, two plus years before the one after the next one. Yeah. So a question from Rosica Bogdanova. Hello, Anat and team. You are amazing helping so many people. I'm a physician and mom of two kids with special needs. One, our boy is more severely affected. He has a genetic condition with neurodegeneration with Parkinsonism. Mm. What movements or maneuvers do you suggest to prevent from further spasticity and cognitive impairment? Well, Rosica. Rosica. From where? We don't know. Okay. Eastern Europe, I think. Yeah. So Rosica, again, the specific movements, I don't know. But first of all, there are the daily movements you do with him. So those daily movements, you, again, train yourself into bringing movement with attention. Now, not all the time. It will drive you and the child crazy. I mean, the brain doesn't just learn, 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 learn. It actually learns best in, 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 in chunks of 15 to 20 minutes. 
but but if you do uh, if you do five minutes here uh, or a process of uh, feeding or a process of putting clothes on or a process of uh, or or just play while playing with them or uh, and you'll get more accustomed doing it you, you see you're as a physician and and it's not just physicians you're trained to do things you're trained to diagnose i don't know what kind of medicine you do but it's it's you do things two people four people and here it's really a whole new paradigm of existence it's not just cognitive shift of paradigm but it's also a personal evolution shift of paradigm so you get to you look to feel what's happening not to diagnose or to make, to do something about it it's just to feel it and to facilitate for the child to feel it too and that is a very potent way of reduction of spasticity. And then the movements that you do, I don't know what the child can do, so I don't know if they can even be upright or not be upright, but when they're lying on their back, you can do just very simple kind of what babies do, you know, just very simple little movement, but just, just as a game. And then, and I don't know the age of the children. So maybe if you, do something right now on 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 uh, respond to me i might give you some ideas however i really want you and everybody else to do this movement with attention to the feeling of self so you feel yourself as you move and you pay attention to what your child feels like that'll get the child to start feeling and that shifts dramatically the processes in the brain and those processes are related to the tonus of the muscles so it can help reduce spasticity so and i'd like to hear from you this is like a a wide wide open open source experiment you know but i know from years of doing it myself and now hundreds of my practitioners are doing it and it works yeah um i realized we actually had a, a couple of questions in advance that oh, we okay. haven't got to yet oh. uh, one of them was how does this help with chronic regional pain syndrome and that's, um, you know, we have... Uh, yeah, no, I know what it is, but it's, it's for an adult, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Well, it does. You know, we have worked with the, with the chronic, I never can say, the Com chronic... Complex regional pain syndrome. Complex regional pain syndrome. <laughs> it's a very, very tough condition. And we have worked with a number of people who had it. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. And, and movement with attentions, add to it right away the next essential, which is slow and gentle. Small movements. I don't know if you have access to some of our video programs. If you want to start doing movement lessons on yourself, I would take the neuro movement for healthy backs or an, a new, uh, the healthy... Healthy backs. Healthy backs. I would just get the healthy backs, and the lessons are around, I think, 45 minutes, right? Those a little bit the, less, 35 to 40. 35 to 40. If you get a, a, a tired, do, do them in increments of 5 to 10 minutes. So, you know, you do 5 or 10 minutes, stop, <coughs> and then take, I don't know, again, your lifestyle, your availability, but don't take too much time. 
and do the next 10 minutes and then stop. So you don't overload because part of this condition is that there is like a hyper reaction to, to movement and to, to, to uh, stimulus, to excitation. So, so you do it in small increments like that and you may finish the lesson in one day. Uh, uh, that would be a good thing. So you can do 10 minutes, I don't know, in the morning and then 10 minutes at 11 or 12 and 10 minutes, I don't know, whatever. But it's good to do the, the last portion before you go to sleep because then sleeping, the brain has real wonderful time to, to work with it and integrate it. And then you do the next lesson and then you do, don't do the same lesson over and over again. Move from lesson to lesson. There'll be some lessons there that might be too hard to do. You do just what you can, you imagine the rest. We've had a guy that had a horrendous condition. By the way, he, he got private sessions and, and it really helped him. And then he joined the training. And now he's an active, successful practitioner. He from time to time has some flare-ups, but there's, it's just unbelievable. He used to be a construction person. He still does some construction work. He, he was, he was completely disabled. So I know, but it took time. You know, the changes start right away, but it's a process. Also with the children, you look for changes, you look for, and the changes come forward, a little backward, forward, but then it's a process. It continues, continues, continues. So we have a message and a question here from Tessa David. Oh, Tessa! Tessa Burns now. Um, hello, Anand Neil. Yeah, this we missed Tessa you David in Burns. LA. You were, in, you were, we found that you were in Florida working with a client or something. Tessa, we she miss said, you. She said, we're both looking fabulous. Thank you, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see you, Tessa, we live. Do. Yeah. She says, I have a 24-year-old client who has had years of issues with mold poisoning, suffered a concussion, and may have PTSD. Currently, he's extremely sensitive to light and noise and lives in constant darkness. Oh, wow. I've been working with him for one week, and he won't allow me to touch his head or neck. Do you have any suggestion on how I can get through to him? Thank you. Well, Tessa. First of all, that's fantastic you're working with this person. Don't touch his head and neck. Just don't, don't go there for a while. I've had a few clients. But I want you to, to, to communicate with us right now. Have you seen any changes altogether? And I'm so glad you're working with the clients. I'm going to, because you're everywhere, Tessa. Tessa came to our training. She came to our center through Jill Balti-Taylor. She herself had a stroke when she was 27. And then this amazing woman took the training, and now she's working with clients. Tessa, we just love you. Um, while we're waiting to hear back from Tessa, um, so, uh, Silke Meyer says, where do you order the Healthy Back series? On the anatbanielmethod.com website. You go there, you get to find the practitioner. You, you, By the way, if you miss it or you want to re-listen to a, a podcast on the, on the homepage, it's very easy to get to. Uh, uh, and, and there's, I don't remember if they call it products or they call it products. You just click on products and you'll find it there. You'll find a lot of other materials too. Comment from Thomas Spano. Hey everyone from Germany. My wife took part in the Frankfurt workshop and so loved it. Thank you for letting us know. We loved being there and teaching it. Thank you. We loved it. We're looking to be there again. I just don't know when, but. <laughs> so we, uh, 
I mean, if we don't we hear one... from Tessa, we have one minute. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Tessa, by the way, we can sign you up to the to the um, membership, the practitioner membership site, and and I do, you know, I do coaching with you guys and ask that question, and we do it live. And we can go back and forth, so yeah. uh, through Zoom. So and it'll sure be really to, helpful to anyone who's on the calls. So. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. they're really wonderful those uh, those mentoring calls for practitioners. So just uh, Neil will arrange for you if you you're not already signed up. We will sign you up. Okay, so I think. Yeah. So first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who have stayed with us uh, the whole time. Uh, and for those of you who are coming to this point, uh, listening to us later, uh, again, my recommendation is take two weeks until we're with you again to um, practice movement with attention. If you have the book Kids Beyond Limits, read movement with attention uh, chapter again. If you don't have the book, I strongly recommend to get it. I mean, it's, I don't know, it, it's really in today's world, it's $13. I, 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 I recommend to do it and read it. And remember, over and over again, movement with attention is about you. It's not about your child. We tend to think it's all in the child and the child has to change. We have to grow and evolve and be able to perform or be in the movement with attention mode so that we can do it with a child and bring the child into our uh, stream, right, to our current, so that the brain, their brain matches our brain and starts doing it spontaneously for themselves. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Nat. And I, I just want to say, you know, there's a comment obviously coming through this thread about people wanting access to practitioners, wanting more practitioners. I want any of you to consider becoming a practitioner, but also you know, if, if you know that you want a practitioner, look around at the people around you and think, who do you think would be a good fit for this? Because we want to train as many people as possible. You know, my feeling for coming here was I needed to help and not bring this to the world. So this is so important. There's such a huge need. Uh, so contact Breda at anatdaniellemethod.com. Uh, those details are on the website too. And... We will see you in two weeks. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Neuro Movement Revolution with Anab Benyel. You will find all of our podcasts and additional resources on our website at www.anabbenyelmethod.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We look forward to seeing you online for our next Neuro Movement Revolution.